ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. I, of course, am David Grubb, and I am pleased to welcome for the first time to the show my friend, my colleague, Kyle T. Mosley. Um, you can catch him on a number of platforms, including Saints News, HBCU Legends, and of course, where we work together over at Pelican Scoop uh, for Fan Nation. So, Kyle, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you, man. It's about time we got to do this. Man, I have arrived. I'm here with Mr. David Grubb. How you doing, man? Shoot. Look, I feel like a, a brand new penny. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you. Um, you know, this is my, I love doing the pod this way because um, I like having it be more conversational. I get to know, you know, my subjects and we get to just explore things a bit more because, you know, as much as I love the radio format, thing is, it's one, two, three questions. Let's go to break. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then this thing, but interviewing uh, it gets you inside with the people, you know, yeah. and that's why I love interviews as well. You get to see different sides and un- explore their mind and how they think and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not much up here that you're going to get, but, you, you know, you'll get something from me. <laughs> And I, you know, you're keeping the streak going too of brothers with no hair. You know, we look, man, you know. we got to keep it real. Look, let it go, let it go. Um, hopefully, we can be able to get Manscape or one of the skull shavers. It's <laughs> <laughs> one, one of those sponsors, yeah. You know, I, you got you got shined it up every now and then too. You know, so yeah, yeah, you keep you it know. real. <laughs> keep the chin hair. We do all of it, man. We, we yeah, both got look. a little, we got the speckles of gray in there. We, Speckles, shoot, this well, is yours, yours is full, mine is speckled, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. I gotta but catch you got to keep it real, dude. That's right. Um, the biggest thing today, we got to start with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, they wrapped up preseason um, mm-hmm. last night uh, in the Superdome. And uh, and the, the, the first thing first is they started cuts, um, but injuries – are going to have a big impact on this final roster. They had some disturbing, you know, some worrisome injuries, uh, starting with Trevor Penning, your first-round draft pick, who looked good most of the preseason and, and showed a very positive impact and was dependent on, on what is probably the unit that people's eyes are most on, the Saints offensive line. And you've got a Jameis Winston back there who's coming back from knee surgery who needs to be protected. Uh, how concerning was it to see Penning go down and what do you think the Saints do to address that um, uh, that that loss on the line? Well, first of all, yeah, it's concerning because, as a matter of fact, when you have a guy that was rising up the depth chart, and it looks like uh, he started with the first team in this fi- finale that they had this past uh, Friday night, I think Penning was ready to go. And, and you saw how he was uh, – doing well in Green Bay. He was pushing a lot of those guys around, going even going to the second level, uh, facing some of the linebackers and attacking those guys as well. You thought we have a good replacement for Teron Armstead, right? Mm-hmm. So, bam. But injuries is always that great equalizer. 
in professional sports as well. And it's just the next man up theory. Uh, it's unfortunate that he suffered the injury the way he did. Uh, I believe it was what John Jawan Johnson coming around mm-hmm. the end uh, on the block and Friendly inadvertently uh, stepped on his uh, toe uh, and uh, caused the serious turf toe injury with the ligaments torn and everything else. So, yeah, it, it's just one of those uh, situations, David, that you – you don't want to account for, but you have to be able to, to account for it. And, and I think that's why James Hurst is there for the, the Saints, right? Uh, but now they still have to find out if they can be able to go get a backup somewhere. Uh, and left tackle is the most, I believe, the most important position on the offensive line. If other people don't, <laughs> you, you, you go without a left tackle for a long period of time that can really handle the pressure from guys uh, off the end, those edge rushers, edge rushers, and then you're going to have uh, issues. So, yeah, James Winston needs to stay upright, uh, just like Drew Brees all those years was upright with Teron Armstead and those guys uh, being able to protect him all those seasons. So right now we Saints have to do their due diligence and uh, be able to figure out how they're going to uh, replace him. And the Saints, you know, last year, even the stable parts of the line weren't at their best. Uh, Eric McCoy did not have his best season. He was hurt and, and missed some games. And, of course, you still have the struggles with your first-round pick from two years ago out of Michigan in Cesar Ruiz, who has not really shown that he can – has been. he has not lived up to the high He's high better. He's gotten He's better. better. But as a <laughs> first-round pick, the expectations were higher. And he yeah. hasn't played up to that level, you know, uh, of his drafting, which is, again, that's not his fault that you get drafted where you get drafted, but your expectations yeah. come along with it. Even Ryan Ramchick had a down year last year. It wasn't the same kind of physical dominance that we had seen out of him. And part of it, I think, is because of the communication on the line. You had a lot of guys shifting in and out over the course of the season and a lot of new faces. You're going to have that again with this line now and who's in charge of this offensive line is going to be a big question because you do have some veterans like a Ramchek and like a Hurst who have been around. And certainly Eric McCoy now is one of the leaders of this at center. He better be, but still it's, it's like you said, the left tackle being, if not the most important position on the offensive line, it's probably the second most important position in all of in the NFL. You know, that's the premium position. And the Saints have a question mark there now. Like you said, you go look at the waiver wires, but there's not going to be a lot of guys available. Um, and, and do they have enough depth, considering they still have the guys that they have, even Andrews Pete, these are injury-prone guys that they have in these key positions. Yeah, key positions, and you talked about Pete. Really, he's the elder statesman of the offensive line now that Armstead is in Miami. But um, – do they slide Pete over in case something happens to Hurts, right? Um, do they just go with a swing guy who could be able to uh, be serviceable over there? Didn't they have Greenwich at one time over on left side I last so. year for mm-hmm. a part of uh, the time? So, uh, so I don't know, man. You know, there's some names out there on the street. I know Bob Rose this morning for Saints News Network. He produced a couple, well, it was last night, matter of fact. Uh, he produced a, uh, a few guys' uh, names that are on the market, so take a look at those. But right now, I, I wonder if the New Orleans Saints really um, are going to be too concerned because her still can be able to hold up at that position. 
He's not pinning, but he is a guy that has veteran leadership and has started in the NFL at the position. When we look at the cuts, um, we saw some cuts get made today. I think that the, the, the positions, uh, and I certainly want your feedback on this, the positions that are going to be the most difficult to round out, wide receiver is extremely deep now. A year ago, we would have been talking about how do you fill out the wide receiver spot. Now it's who can't you keep? You want everybody, it feels like. There's, there's nine, ten guys <laughs> on that receiving core that yeah. could, should be able to play, and you can't do that. Um, that position, and then you also look at the defensive backfield, has gotten a lot deeper as well. Another position a year ago that you were hoping to have enough players, now it feels like you got an abundance in the secondary. Yeah, yeah. That's a great problem to have. Depth is always a great problem to have. And you have uh, such talented guys like Merritt who has really flashed and shown that he's capable of playing in the National Football League. Uh, Kwan Baker, we know he's going to be suspended for a few games. Uh, Dejon Dixon, I had two opportunities to interview him uh, once uh, at in Houston after the uh, – uh, game against the Texans, I think he has shown some flashes as well. But I, I still believe the bubble guy, the one guy that can really put things in perspective for this New Orleans Saints is Traquan Smith. What do they do with Traquan? Do they keep him? Uh, does Dennis uh, Allen stay in, in a conservative mode uh, because they know he can block. He knows the route tree. He knows how to be a wide receiver in Carmichael's system. Do they keep him or have they fielded some trades for someone like him? We don't know yet. Uh, we know through uh, Nick Underhill, he said the, the team has been uh, fielding trades, but we don't know at which positions because, like you said, you're deep at uh, defensive back, you're deep at uh, wide receiver, and you have some good talent on linebacker as well. So um, right now, yeah, Dave, I mean, there, there's some good talent. But would some of those guys, if you do cut them, survive – getting the go, going through waivers and being able to get onto the practice squad or, you know, do they survive that? Because teams are, are looking at the waiver wires, just like the New Orleans Saints will be. So right now I like what the Saints have and yeah, they're deep. Let's see how and who stays. Um, what were your impressions? You got to see Jameis Winston. He looked very accurate. He was decisive with the football. He seemed happy with uh, his production. Fans seemed happy. Um, what's been your feeling in watching Jameis uh, coming back from injury? Uh, I have been impressed with his leadership. I've been impressed with his desire to, to work um, on a daily basis. Wow. I think, you know, look, I don't think anybody would disagree that Jameis was immature at one point in his career. But I think the Jameis that we've seen over the last two years is not the eat the dub guy. He has grown into a, a more mature young man, I think, who understands how fragile the NFL is and how fragile a career is and that you can go from being a number one pick to fighting for a job. And certainly I think he's appreciative of where he is, but I think he also understands how talented he is and he doesn't want to waste that and what the opportunity he has with the, the players around him. Yeah. An old guy told me years ago, Two things that you really start thinking about is what well, three things you start thinking about when you lose your woman, your job, <laughs> and your health. <laughs> and when you lose those things, you start thinking 
man, I should have, would have, could have a lot differently. And when you have a second chance and, you know, if you guys don't know, I've been through cancer, uh, radiation treatments and everything else. And now you have a second chance and doctor was saying, hey, you need to prepare your life differently. You need to uh, you need to go ahead and start eating better and things of that nature. Granted. So those are some of the things I think James Winston went through having been the first round pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a Heisman Trophy winner, national champion. You come into the league, you, you did very well in my estimation. Uh, you did have some, like you say, some questionable situations. You were benched at one time as well. And then the team that drafted you just dropped you like a bad habit for Tom Brady. So who picks you up? Sean Payton makes a, a deal with you and makes you an offer you couldn't refuse to be able to learn under Drew Brees. And here you are. You have the opportunity to take over this team. You have the opportunity to write your name. You have the opportunity to dispel all the naysayers if you perform at a high level. And I think he's taking it seriously. And I think that's the Jameis Winston you will see in 2022. I think it's such a big difference, too, to be the unquestioned starter, even coming off of the injury, to know that all the plays now to have to be able to sit with Pete Carmichael, to be able to sit with Dennis Allen and say, this is what I want to do. You yeah. know, it's not we have to tailor this to have some things here for the for these trick plays that we run or these secondary plays that we run or these situational. It's now Jameis, and he has an understanding of these guys, too. He spent the offseason with his receiving core, getting to know the, them, how they operate, how they run. Uh, and even when he was not able to practice each day, you could see mentally he was still going through the reps. And I think that is an advantage for any quarterback is to know going in, yeah. it's my job, it's my offense. And I yeah. think for a guy like Pete Carmichael, who also had been, you know, uh, quite frankly, you know, you are running Sean Payton's offense for years. Now right. it's Pete Carmichael's opportunity to say, maybe we go downfield some more. Maybe we add some more play action, which is something that Drew Brees was not interested in doing a lot because of his height. He wanted to be able to see and make his read and get it out. Well, now Jameis can look and with his power and his size – can do some things that you couldn't do. I think that's a tremendous boost for James. Tremendous boost for each one of those guys, plus Dennis Allen, right? Think about it. He has a, a chance to be able to get from under Sean's shadow as well as Carmichael. You have Jameis gets to get out of the, 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 the huge shadow that looms with Drew Brees' name every time that's mentioned, right? So, yeah, each one of these guys has the opportunity to be able to set their own course for their careers. Uh, Pete Carmichael always was mentioned as a possible candidate for a head coaching job, and it never came. And, you know, he's always been the second to Sean Payton in a lot of ways. But he's been very effective when Sean Payton wasn't calling the plays, and he was calling the plays. And the season that he was out, Drew Brees excelled. The seasons that he was injured, remember, on the sidelines with Jimmy Graham, you know, and a few times when Sean Payton just turned over the play calling to him, the Saints were effective. I think in a lot of ways, sometimes I, I start wondering if Sean Payton was kind of worried that he was do doing too well. Uh, and remember, because our, the Saints for one time, they went on a four game winning streak and was hitting some really great numbers. Then all of a sudden, Sean Payton wants to take over the playbook again. So, yeah, uh, Dennis. 
uh, Allen has his own story to write. You know, former NFL head coach got dismissed. Now he's back in the in the league under Sean Payton for a number of seasons as assistant, and now he's the man in New Orleans. So yeah you have all of those guys in combination have to work in sync to orchestrate how this team is going to perform in 2022. How far do you think uh, Dennis Allen went in establishing a new culture um, in New Orleans? Because I, I know people think it's a continuation, but there's no such thing. I don't believe that you can just turn it over to a coach who's on your staff and say, we're the same culture. It's not, it can't be, you know, whenever Bill Belichick steps down, he can hand over to one of his assistants. It's not going to be the same, but Dennis Allen, it seems he didn't, he didn't have to go out of his way to make sure people knew he wasn't Sean Payton, but it seems it's very clear that he is not Sean Payton. And I'm not saying that's a negative at all, but he's made very clear that it's Dennis Allen's team. Yeah. It's a new sheriff in town. And he has to take that position that this is my baby. And I recall being a new manager once and I was trying to do things like my old manager did and it wasn't working. And one of the uh, other district managers came in and said, Kyle, you got to use your own flavor, baby. You got to do what you do and say things the way you said. And, and it started to work when you, as a head coach, you have to set the tone. It's your uh, organization. If that team does not produce, because it's all about production, David, right? Mm -hmm. if, the, if they don't produce on film, you're looked at. It's not the general manager all the times. It's you. Uh, they give you the ingredients. You have to cook up the, the whole uh, gumbo, right? So if you're going to do it, Put your own seasoning in it, your own uh, seasoning and flavor and your own style to how you prepare it. And that's what he's doing right now. And I like uh, what he's doing. He's been a little bit more forthcoming uh, when it comes to injury situations, right? Uh, we we didn't get that from Sean Payton. Sean would be very cagey about no. injuries. And if you got <laughs> any information, you'll be blessed to say, yeah, he did share something. Yeah, you really had to be uh, inside Sean's head if you wanted to get some information because it was it was shut down. He, he, the Saints were a very it was very closed off. And I think there is been there has been a more open feeling to this camp. Um, like you said, not just in information, but I think, you know, even with access to, to players access, and, and yes. those types of things, it's been a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's that's a good thing, because especially during the covid era as a journalist, it was so hard to get information because we could not be face-to-face -face or it within certain distance of players. Now that that's back a little bit, it's good to see that some teams, not all of them, but some teams are starting to loosen those, those restrictions a little bit. Look, man, I, I remember the Zoom calls. So we would be on the Zoom calls. Uh, you would try to ask your question, if you can be able to get your question in. Uh, or, you know, if uh, Sean Payton was in a mood, <laughs> so to speak, you wouldn't get a question answered um, in a more subtle way that uh, Dennis Allen has the opportunity to do. So, yeah, he, and, and I've heard it from some national guys. I think it was what uh, Ian Rappaport, mm -hmm. he said it, uh, or, or was it um, the other young man? But I think it was Rappaport who, who told uh, those guys at, um, who's the guy, Pat, who wears the Pat McAfee. McAfee. He told McAfee, yeah, it's a different culture. You can feel it 
in the air. And you can sense it with the players. It's a more relaxed but still professional atmosphere with the New Orleans Saints. And those guys are I see, I think they're on the verge of really producing and shocking some people in the national arena who are taking them for granted. That is something that has been odd to me is how, how much folks have taken the Saints for granted, considering how they started the season last year when they weren't all together, you know, and how they finished last season, finished pretty strong, right. you know, had, their, had themselves a contention for the playoffs. <laughs> Um, they were, you know, a Jameson Winston injury away from being a legitimate playoff team last season and possibly winning the division again. They beat Tampa twice during the regular season. Again, they come back. You still have a defense that has the makings of a top five defense in the NFL. And you have an offense that has more skill players than it's probably had in the last half decade. The right. only question really for the offense to me outside of Jameis's health and those types of things is – do they come back around to the Alvin Kamara suspension now that they've dealt with Deshaun Watson and there's this other pressure? Because now it seems like with Tony Busby taking on the case that there's more pressure on the league to address the Kamara situation. And that is the one thing that I do worry about with them um, in, that, in the running back group is if Kamara misses six or so games, um, when do those happen and if they happen? Yeah, great question, man. You know, being here in Houston, I know Tony Busby. I've seen him in action. I've seen him run for uh, office. Uh, he tried to smear Sylvester Turner's name through the uh, mayoral campaign that they ran several years ago. So Tony has always sought out the limelight as an attorney, and he's been a part of uh, pretty close with the Texas organization, uh, Cal McNair, and he uh, – even though they deny this, but they've been there together at certain functions before. They live uh, across so, the street. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I'm like, really? Uh, so look, all I'm saying is this. Tony Busby now, and I, and I wrote about this, David, is that since he, he won that case, of course, he has the bravado to put pressure on the National Football and he did it in such a way he orchestrated that uh, maneuver of not only having the young ladies come forth one by one by one by one, but also he was able to find the disclosed P was it uh, non-disclosure non forms, non yeah. forms that was in the locker of Deshaun Watson. And why did he put him in there? But anyway, I'm just and saying, why did the Texans just, get involved in that? Oh but the God. Texans, like I, I, I've been saying this for the longest. I even told a couple of journalists in the Houston area. I believe the Texans knew about what was happening a long time ago and they were complicit. OK, and uh, they just got caught up in the situation and uh, they had to pay anyway. And also the Texans could have. Uh, stopped some of the situations from going further. And that has really been a, a nightmare for that organization. So right now, yeah, uh, Tony Busby is a problem and he could put pressure, na national pressure on the National Football League. He called for more severe punishment for Alvin Kamara, even though punishment hasn't been rendered through the legal systems as well as through the National Football League. So 
what punishment is he calling for or what punishment is he seeking? And he wants to have Alvin Kamara suspended one way, shape or form. And he wants his uh, client to be paid millions and millions of dollars. So, um, and the tough thing out. for Alvin is that he admits that he was part of it. It's it, there's you can't really run from it. The tape is there. The tape shows it's, it, right? It, it's it's about what you know, like you said, does does the legal system play out in a way that it gets solved civilly or criminally is the biggest question. But certainly there's going to be some punishment at some point. If you're the Saints, I think though, again, this is the Saints could have had the opportunity to self inflict these kind of things, you know, and say, look, we're gonna we're gonna sit Alvin for a few games. If we sit him for four, then we deal with it. But that's again, owners never do that. They never, they never get in front of it. If you go back to a conversation Mickey Loomis had with Sirius XM radio, right? The, on the National Football League side, he stated, we are waiting to see what happens in the legal proceedings. That's what I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he's waiting on, as well as the National Football League. He said they cannot do anything until that happens first. And if they keep with the delays and it goes past the season, then it goes into the off season again, then, you know, that's where we're going to be. But right now uh, that's the hope for Alvin Kamara, as well as his team to be able to have this kind of pushback, delayed pushback further so they can be able to go on and have uh, a productive year for 2022. Last question on the saints before we transition. He said the predictions for this team have been all over the place. You have some folks who say that this is a Super Bowl team. You got some folks say they might finish third in their own division. I still think this this team is – yeah, wow. I've seen it in places where you got – you know, people think Atlanta is going to jump National up. media, right? Yeah, national yeah. media. Gotcha. Um, and, but I think the Saints team, and I look across the landscape of the NFC, outside and, – and I still don't think Tampa is as good as they were last year. They're another year older. That defense is not as good as it was a year ago. I think, and I think offensively, you've seen what they do. Tom Brady's arm is not getting any stronger, and the Saints have already solved that problem in the regular season. The last four out of the five times, you know, in the regular season, undefeated against them. So, I mean, I look across the rest of the NFC. The Rams, sure, they 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 went all in last year, but. That's still Matthew Stafford over there. And I was a Lions. I'm an Alliance fan since 1978. I know what Lions quarterbacks look like. And Matthew yeah. Stafford was very much one for most of his life. Um, yeah. I, I he, don't he didn't have much of supporting team. cast, though, Dave. Come on. Yeah, Calvin he, Johnson. <laughs> he had Megatron. He didn't have just like when Drew Brees. Right. Then let's I got to be fair. When to they Matthew were in the chain. OK, just like when Drew Brees. They didn't have a great defense. When they, but they should have beat Dallas in Dallas in the playoffs. I don't deny that. Matthew but Stafford had his chance in the second half, didn't put up a did. single point. He did. He did. He did. I, I'm not denying that, but I'm just saying there's some similarities. A lot of people forget how well, how well this Saints offense operated for such a long time at a high level, right? Right. But the defense was null and void to support them. Greg Williams, all his faults, gave them that opportunity in the 2009 uh, through when he, after 2011, 2011 2012, yeah. whatever, and all that debacle happened. Uh, but Greg Williams, you have to give him kudos. He did right the ship 
when it came to the defensive side and they had misfires until uh, Dennis Allen, right? So right now, defense has to be able to support an offense. And I do agree with you about Tampa Bay. Tom Brady is behind a line with four different guys than a season ago. And he had two of those guys went down in the in preseason to major injuries. So you're going to have uh, Tom Brady with a makeshift line to be able to support a 45-year-old quarterback who is trying to vie for a championship. And no grunk. Other than, huh? And no grunk. And no grunk. And right. And I've heard a lot of these guys say, oh, he's going to have some options with uh, the tight ends. These guys look really good. Come on. It's not Gronkowski (laughs) and it's not O.J. Howard. It's not uh, some of those guys that he has relied on in the past. So, yeah, it's going to be a challenge for Tampa Bay. And I wouldn't be surprised if the New Orleans Saints, as well as Carolina, are the ones contending for the NFC South championship. And I think Baker Mayfield has a huge chip on his shoulder, but I'm not saying Saints fans that Carolina's going to be there. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Don't be surprised. That's all. Yeah, I mean, because you look at the NFC North, Green Bay's not better. They lost their best receiver. Aaron Rodgers is still, you know, making you wonder what's going on in his head. That defense isn't better (laughs) in Green Bay. I don't think those comments, the bears, Justin Fields is just now get, you know, getting his real rookie season. It kind of feels like, and I don't, nobody's scared of the bears. The Lions should be better, but are you worried about them? You know, again, it's, and then when you go out to the West, Seattle, complete rebuild in Seattle, San Francisco's going with Trey Lance, who's getting his first starts of his career. So you're not talking outside of the Rams. Who are, who's proven in the NFC? The Saints have right. the most proven unit in the defensive side. That's a group that knows each other. Right. I think the Saints are there as a top three or four team in the in the NFC, no doubt. Right, and, and think about this, Dallas man. That offensive line, they are having some issues there as well. They just lost Smith for a number of season, I mean, number of uh, games this season, and uh, you don't know what's happening. They had to rebuild that offensive line. So defensively, yeah, the Saints make a lot of sense. Offensive, offensively, the Saints make a lot of sense. I don't know if it's because keep, people keep keen on the pass for Jameis Winston as being the issue because you have to have stability at the quarterback position. Is he going to be consistent enough? Will he be the guy to be able to lead them through some adversity as well? So those are some of the issues that people in the national media keep bringing up when I hear them on uh, the talk show. So, I believe that the Saints are a postseason team at this time. And I saw from Jameis Winston, and even if something happens with Jameis Winston, I think Andy Dalton can be able to pick up the pieces and run with this team as well. Because the one thing that Andy Dalton gives you that you did not get last year out of the backup quarterback spot is the ability to read the defense. I mean, with Taysom Hill, you knew it was a one read or go. At least at the very least, Andy Dalton can do a secondary read, a third read, a check down. Taysom Hill did not have that ability. And so to have neither that did Trevor, neither did neither Trevor, Trevor Simeon. No. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's Andy Dalton is not going to win you the Super Bowl, but he can at least yeah keep other people involved. And you saw especially a guy like Alvin Kamara. And I think people forget this the most with Taysom Hill. 
Whenever Taysom Hill started at quarterback or played extended, Alvin Kamara's numbers dropped off the cliff. Tremendously. And that that can't happen. That just right. can't happen. It was kind of odd, David, that um, you would think if you needed to check down, why don't you check down to one of the guys that's more reliable <laughs> than anybody else? Field runners in the game. <laughs> yeah, in this in this National Football League, right? Uh, I don't know why Taysom Hill wouldn't do it as much. Uh, he started to get better last season, but that first four games that he uh, filled in for Breeze, it wasn't uh, happening. This just hit me now on this on, on um, Alvin Kamara too. He's going to be one of the most difficult running backs to place when his career is over because he's going to have, he's going mm. to probably have every, he's going to be in every scoring record that, that you're going to get. Single season, he'll be up in there, up in there, right. total touchdowns in his career, but his right. yards will be significantly behind guys like LaDainian Tomlinson, Emmett yeah. Smith, Barry Sanders. He won't get those kind of rushing totals. He's going to be a very strange guy to place because unless you he's going to be like one of those Gale Sayers types, like you have to explain to people, if you didn't see Alvin Kamara, you don't get Alvin Kamara. Right, man. You took the words right out of my mouth. Gale Sayers is the comparison, you know, kind of slim of numbers, 40, 41 here. So, yeah, uh, Gale Sayers is a guy that you have to consider Alvin Kamara like numbers as well as Marshall Falk. You know, um, you're not they're not going to beat you grounding and pounding all the time, but they find a way to slip through those holes. They find a way to be able to recognize how to get open. They find a way to be able to make the plays that nobody else in the world can make. So that's what you get from Alvin Kamara. And I think a lot of people in the National Football League, look, I was kind of surprised when you when they did the top 100, how he fell from 14 all the way down to what 51 that was weird to me you know these guys see him these guys know him and i think alvin he has slight you know he had some injuries he had some things he was dealing with but he still was our top receiver on the team as far as total receptions <laughs> think about By that a lot. man like yeah. there wasn't a receiver close to him a wide receiver close to him on his own team. That's right. not supposed that to happen. It's just weird, man. And this guy is, he's a threat whenever you put him on the field. So you have Jarvis and Landry, a threat. You have Michael Thomas, a threat. You have Chris Olave, a threat. You have Alvin Kamara, a threat. What will you do? How do you actually game plan for all four of those skill positions and say that we cannot, uh, that this team cannot go far into the playoffs. I, I doubt it. If they're healthy, these guys are going to be a problem for any defensive coordinator. I, I think so, too. Let's transition. College football got started as well this past weekend. Um, the highest profile game in HBCU football, which you cover for HBCU Legends, uh, the Swag Miak Challenge. And the SWAC finally won one for the first time in a while yeah. with Alabama State uh, beating uh, Howard. Um, that's a big, big uh, position for that game to be in because now we're seeing this resurgence, a renaissance of, of HBCU football. People paying attention. It's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you have behind you. It's, it's being <laughs> talked about in circles. You got Alabama bringing up. Jackson State's name. You got, you know, you got Eddie George getting interviewed today talking about, you know, again, these things. It's 
it's a completely different era. And for this game to get front and center on a day when bigger teams from bigger schools were playing as well, this was one of the, the most you know anticipated games of the day, and it, and it lived up to the hype. Well, two games in HBCU sports that really uh, went well. The, the MEAC SWAC Challenge, Howard against Alabama State. And we got to have uh, give kudos to Alabama State's rookie head coach, mm-hmm. Eddie Robinson Jr., who is a New Orleans native, right? Right. And he's graduated from Brother Martin. He grew up watching SWAC. And he played for Alabama State. Uh, then he went to the National Football League. So, yeah, you have a guy with professional pedigree that's now coaching back at his alma mater. And he wins his first game coming out the gate. And they did it very convincingly you know, you know, against Howard, which I was surprised because I had picked them to win the game knowing what Larry uh, – Scott and his team was uh, doing last season toward the end of the season. So kudos to Alabama State. But the game that a lot of people were very surprised at the outcome was uh, when Florida A&M made the trip to Chapel Hill and played UNC. Mac mm-hmm. Brown and his guys, you would have thought they would easily put up 70-plus points on Florida A&M, especially after Florida A&M had a debacle of their own with 20 of their players being ineligible for the game. And uh, they also had uh, three of their star guys, especially the 2021 Buck Buchanan Award winner, Isaiah Land. He was out of the game. This guy had over 19 sacks last season. So um, they went into Chapel Hill. They not only went toe-to-toe with the Tar Heels for the first half, but they were down 28-14. to But that was easily a game that a Power 5 school like North Carolina should have had at least 35, 40 points in that first half against a beleaguered team. Those guys were very spirited. They went in and they put up, I believe the final score was 50 six to uh, 28 or 27, something to that nature. Uh, but Florida A&M was game. Uh, I think the, the, if you look at the time of possession, it was almost equal. If you look at the first downs, it was almost uh, notch for notch. The, the way the Tar Heels won is that they put three – 300 yards on the ground against and that's where the division always is yeah right so that's how you uh can equate that this team uh was up for the challenge but they fell short because the the defense failed them not the offense it was the defense and it's that and and Dion talked about that and he, he knows and that's always been the issue whether it's HBCUs or FBS schools going up against FCS schools, it's always been that way, is that it's it's the lines. It's it's not, the, like you said, it's not the skill positions. You see that when the quarterbacks have time to throw, they're able to make accurate passes. And you saw some dimes getting dropped yeah. uh, yesterday against yeah. Carolina. I was uh, surprised. So he, when they got time, they, they made plays. They got behind the secondary. They beat their, their, their man. Um, but it's like you said, just physically. And again, you're 20 men short already. So you don't have the guys that you can cycle in who are fresh. You don't have the bodies that you normally would have. And like you said, you're mo- losing star players. But I think it's a representation that now 
more and more kids are making this choice and saying that the HBCU is viable for me as not only academically, but for me to continue my football career. And I can do all the things that are at the bigger schools. Now that we're seeing this major transition in the uh, FBS, where now you basically have two major conferences and everybody else is one tier below that. And then there's another tier below them. It's the SEC and the Big Ten. And then it's the the, the three also (laughs) rands of the ACC, Pac-12 and Big 12. 12, And then everyone else. Mm -hmm. There's been talk that, that maybe you start doing an HBCU super conference or super conferences where those two come together and where the MEAC, the SWAC, or, or CIAA, all these merge and maybe come together. Is that a realistic thing to that, that, that is on the table to where we could see the formation because now the money is able to be different? Because now the TV contracts with Byron Allen and his network is available that was not available five years ago in streaming dollars. There's this entire new set of revenue available to HBCUs where they don't have to necessarily take the, the butt whooping money of going up against major schools so they could get 450 grand to keep the program going. Yeah. Yeah. Like fam, you did last night. Right. Um, I spoke to Byron Allen. Byron Allen gave me a great interview. He told me about this HBCU go app that he worked out the deal with the SWAC and CIAA. The word on the street from different sources told me that it was a 10 year $120 million deal. Um, I spoke to a couple other people to verify it. They, they would not verify it. The conference wouldn't verify it, nor when I asked Byron Allen, he wouldn't verify it. <clears throat> okay. So the problem has been with SWAC schools, especially, is that they haven't had the money to be able to fund some of the programs that they need to adequately, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Alan said, now you're starting from zero. Now we add a different position where these institutions will have an opportunity to put some money in their pockets, uh, put some uh, of these NILs in place as well, which is a, capable, uh, a, a possibility for some of these institutions to have a blanketed NIL deal like Howard has with uh, Jordan brand, mm-hmm. right? So you have these institutions where they could be able to benefit. I think what's stopping some of these institutions, like you said, and I did uh, bring up the question of can they be a superpower and Dr. McClellan, who is the commissioner of the SWAC, stated at SWAC Media Day to us that he believes the SWAC is already a superpower. They have the most teams, 12 teams. Uh, they also have uh, the bigger presence nationally. That ESPN works out more deals with them than anyone else as far as television rights and things of that nature as well. All right. Now, CIAA, MEAC you're going to probably have more of equal basis with the MIAC. MIAC is very stubborn in talking about any possibility with the new commissioner, Sonia Steeles, that they would like to go forward and merge with anyone at this time, right? Um, But the problem the MIAC has been having, they lost Florida A&M. They lost uh, Bethune-Cookman to the SWAC last season right Mm -hmm. then they lost 
Hampton and North Carolina A&T to the Big South. And those teams, now they jumped to the CAAA. So, all right. So everybody's repositioning themselves, so to speak. There's going to have to be some repositioning coming up. Now, David, here's a question I need to pose to you. If Deion Sanders and his team runs the table in the SWAC, or even if they don't run the table, they even win the Celebration Bowl and become the mythical HBCU national champion and a team or a conference like the Big Ten, I mean, the Big 12, or some of these other conferences that are struggling right now approaches them to say, we will give you guys $20 million a year to join our conference. Do you think that they would turn it down? See, the thing I now, it's hard to turn that money down. Now, my logic tells me, though, are we, how tied are we and how committed is Dion? Because if I don't have a succession plan ready, if Dion is, you know, because if Dion says I, I'm, I'm willing to be here to build this thing up and I really, if he's really in, and, and of course that changes with any coach, that could change tomorrow if the right deal comes along and somebody is, is really attractive and he says that's the job I want. I can't blame a man for doing better by himself. But you got to have a plan that you don't get left out. And are you being used or are you being utilized? And that's the question for that, that for HBCUs certainly has been and for black folks in America. That's the question we have to look at whenever we get in these kinds of deals. Are we being used or are we being utilized here? And are they going to try to get, get you because they want to keep black athletes around? Or are they get you because you really have value to them in a real way? They want you to be a partner. And that's the question that, that I would have to really get into as a university president, as an athletic director, as somebody who's looking for the financial future, because you get into that arms race of facilities, which happens once you get into those conferences, you have to make sure that that revenue is steady. And if they put you in that second tier and they turn, you're not Vanderbilt where Vanderbilt can survive and be the last team in the SEC because they have enough alumni to give them money on a regular basis. They can compete in baseball. They can compete in gymnastics or basketball and make their money up there. You can't do that if you're Jackson State. You can't do that if you're Alabama State. You can't do that if you're Grambling. So to me, that's the type of thing that I'd be worried about is that you get get into and you save the Big 12, but is the Big 12 really viable long-term anyway? Because ultimately, I think the NCAA is a dying – uh, thing in general, and that you're going to see the SEC, the Big Ten say, we're just going to be our own thing. And we can have 40 teams in our two conferences, and we can play amongst ourselves, have our own TV deal, have our own champion, because there's no official NCAA champion anyway. So why don't we just keep this money to ourselves? So if I'm, the, if I'm an HBCU, how do we make the most money and continue to serve our mission? Because the mission is still different than it is for okay. PWI. So I have to go back to step one again. You're at zero. <laughs> so you're about to, in, in two years, renegotiate your deals with ESPN as well. So right now, Dr. McClellan has to have a strategy uh, or plan in place. The, okay. The problem has been with SWAC, MIAC, CLWA, SIEC schools is attendance. Mm-hmm. Jackson State has the largest attendance of all FCS schools. Okay. Mm-hmm. They average the most people at their games 
more than even Mississippi State does. There were over, what, 40,000 last year? 43,000 last season, okay? That's more so, than my alma mater. I went to Wake Forest, and that's more than what – our stadium don't fit but 33,000 in, in it, so. Yeah, yeah, and that's a beautiful place, too. Now, anyway, um, all, all I'm saying is this. You have to put people in your seats. I've attended uh, several SWAC games last season, even the SWAC championship and everything else. Uh, but when, okay, here in Houston, it's a challenge for Texas Southern, who has the fourth largest city in the United States, has a huge alumni in the city, still around this Texas area, Houston, Texas area, surrounding cities and everything else, they still struggle to, to have at least four to 5,000 people per game, a home game, mm -hmm. okay? So it comes down to some of these schools have to look at how they market their program. And as well as the athletic directors being able to put people in place that articulate the message well. And that's what Ashley Robinson did well when he selected Deion Sanders for that role at Jackson State. And you have a guy who's not really tied to the money. He's tied to proving a point, proving that he is a capable coach because his own alma mater, Florida State, did not give him that opportunity. That's the first place he interviewed with before the Jackson State opportunity came to light. Like one of the things that I've been in SID at an HBCU, not, not at that high level, you know, at Dillard and at Southern University of New Orleans. But what you notice, again, it's it, in attracting fans. You have two things in, in, that HBCUs have to work on. Number one is, like you said, as big as these alumni bases are, there are strained relationships in a lot of cases between the alumni and the university over slights. You know, you know how it goes. There are slights and it, we could list them all, but there are, if you go talk to any alumni from an HBCU, they got a problem with something. Some, you know what I mean? There's a problem. Always. With there's a reason <laughs> that they don't send their check. And there's a reason, you know, Michael Strahan is a proud graduate of Texas Southern but at the same time, he's not driven people to Texas Southern. I've heard interviews with Shannon Sharp where he said, I did my duty for South Carolina, uh, for Savannah, Savannah State, because I went there and I stayed there and I gave them all that name recognition. I don't have to sign a check for Savannah State. I think that those are relationships that have to re be rebuilt in ways yeah. that are, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying. Can I interject? Yeah, yeah, Can go I ahead. interject, go right? Ahead. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I just interviewed Jerry Rice. I asked Jerry Rice, has anyone in the administration approached you about what's happening with their current, with the, the stadium that bears his name, the Totten Rice Stadium? Their field is in, was in such a horrible condition last season. They dug it up. And now they can't even start in their stadium at the beginning of the season because the field is not in place yet mm -hmm. and it still need resources to be able to get them in place. So I know firsthand that he has given to his alma mater. He has reached out to them. Sometimes the administrators are the problem. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> and yeah, I agree with there. you. They are the problem, David. 
And I know I may get some back, backlash from this, but sometimes the administrators' egos get in the, the way of working with somebody who you have uh, at a prominent position as head coach, because like it or not, the head coach drives most of the money that's going to come into your program. If you have a quality head coach that wins, their money will come. If you don't have that, you will have alumni, like you say, questioning, why should I give to this program? So that's all I'm saying. When are the administrators, ADs, head coach, all going to work in tandem to make this a productive Union. Yep. You see that right now in Jackson State with Ashley Robinson, uh, Dr. I forgot his last name, but the 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 president and uh, Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. You see it with even their basketball coach, Tamika Reed. Right. If you have a program that's succeeding, you work with that person. Uh, Eddie Robinson had it with the president and with his athletic director as well as his marketing guy so why can't these guys do the same when we have more technology at our fingertips to be able to drive home the 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 message that you need see that failure i mean as journalists you how often have you had to struggle to get information from an hbcu to say can i get your roster can i get a story do you have a player that i need to be talking about and, or you call the athletic department and the phone goes unanswered. You send emails and they go unreturned. It's Last happened season. too many times in my life to, when I've tried to deal with that. And it's it's not, again, this is not to, to tell tales on the family, but what it's to say is if you, you got to have an infrastructure to succeed. Yeah. Uh, and I have to agree with you. I know last season for a couple of uh, prominent games, it was a struggle just contacting the SID and uh, having them to return a telephone call or an email. It came down to a text that had to, that, that they finally did address uh, the situation. Well, and I, I kind of caution a lot of people for being overly critical mm-hmm. of uh, HBCUs for this one reason. And I think that HBCUs, there are some that are trending in the right direction. I see a lot of them are taking social media to, to heart and driving their message mm-hmm. to the, the public and their fans. I see some that are even marketing to sponsors and having people to come on board with them. Uh, you, and you have to applaud some of the moves that has been made mm-hmm. with hiring like Hugh Jackson, Eddie George, Deion Sanders and uh, Eddie Robinson Jr., all these guys who have NFL backgrounds to be able to come into their programs and do well. You saw Deion uh, Sanders hired Mike Zimmer to be an analyst for his squad. You're talking about a guy who was a head coach for the Minnesota Vikings for eight years and has 43 years of industry experience. So yeah, you do see some of these moves being made. So yeah, they're trending right. I think the impatience with fans and alumni is just that impatience Mm -hmm. because everybody in this type of world, microwave type world wants to push the button and make it happen today. So everybody can't be the champion every year. 
what they want to see is that they want to see their team competitive. They want to see that they can have some bra- bragging rights. You know, it was Southern and Grambling. It's bragging rights. Right. You can lose all year long, but you can't lose what? The Bayou Classic, <laughs> you know? And it's happened even Ohio State, Michigan. Oh, of course. Of course. Right? You it, can go around the country and, and point to major rivals. Go ahead. Yeah, it, to me, it's just... I think it's not I don't think you're asking athletic departments to do things that that are above their grade, but you got to meet that minimum. You know what I mean? If people you like, like you said, getting the information out, having your press kit ready um, and being able to return. You know how simple it is in this business. Returning phone calls is so critical. Returning emails is so critical because the, the cycle is so fast. If you miss it. The reporter, whomever it is, is going to move on to the next story and you may not get your turn again. So, you know, I think that's the (laughs) part of it. And and within conferences and, you know, Kiki Baker Barnes is is a very close friend of mine and, uh, you know, runs the GCAC. And one of her things has been and for Dillard. And when she had uh, Dr. Walter Kimbrough was the when he was the uh, president at Dillard. He stressed selling the message on all sides. We have to be competitive in athletics because that's what our fans want to see. But at the same time, on my side as the fundraiser for the university, I got to go out and do my thing. So under that, agree or disagree with however what happened, Dillard's fundraising went to record levels. Their athletic achievement went to levels that they had not had in decades. So you can invest in it without this. You don't have to get into this financial hole. You know, and try to compete, which we see sometimes schools try to jump from one level and go up to division, you know, uh, up too many divisions too fast. You don't have to do that. Be great where you are first. Get your structure in order. Like I said, get the house in order and those things will come. And that's the thing is that 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 I want to see for HBCUs because I've been in it. I've been in it with them and I've had that conversation. And it's frustrating when I know a sometimes it's about support is that those athletic directors just wish they had enough support to get somebody who's full time in a spot or have the right person who's willing to multitask in those things. It can't be about fiefdoms. Like you said, it can't be about personalities and power. It's got to be what's best for the university and what's best for the program. And I hope that there's a shift in that going. All right. Courtney Gauthier was the VP of athletics for FAMU, right? And now he's at uh, Tulane University. He was pretty much having a very, strained relationship with the administration of Florida in fast forward after he tendered his resignation and uh, Florida A&M had to bring back an old interim uh, athletic director and now they also lost their compliance director and he's now at Dartmouth right mm-hmm. So they have an interim compliance director who also handles campus, uh, well, the student athletes academic situation. And I think she has another title as well. Okay, one person. It's a lot. One person. One person has to make sure the compliance is is ready for over 100 plus to 200 student athletes. Okay. How does that one person handle all of that? That's the, that's the one thing that has been brought to my attention. Uh, Stan Beckton of the Inside 
NCAA, who's the reporter and insider for NCAA, posted that only three or four schools have four compliance offers. Most have then one. Most have one. You're fortunate to have two. Some have three. Okay. You have to have people in place to make sure that everything is dotted and cross with the T's there, right? So if you don't have that, then you're going to have issues like Florida A&M had this past weekend. And right now, what's going to happen, Dave? Like you say, you have to trend in that right direction. You have to have things in place. You have to upgrade the way you handle business. And that's the issue with Florida A&M as well as the rest of HBCUs across the country. If you want to get the NIL dollars, if you want businesses to partner with you, they got to believe you're serious about your business. And that's that's the big thing. They have to know that you're serious about your business. Are you doing it at, a, at the level that they're doing it? Because they're not going to turn their money over to you. Right. If they you don't feel be like, like you're going to manage it well. You have to be like Jay-Z. You have to believe you are the business man. You're not a businessman. You are the business. And you're the one who handles everything. Look. For Tenacious Media Group, we have Saints News Network, Pelican Scoop, HBCU Legends, and we have a couple of other entities that are coming. I have to know what's happening with my babies. I have to be the one champion and setting the course and talking everything. I can't, I, I do all the graphics, I can do the writing, I can do the video, I can do it all. If you don't know how to do it, and if you don't have the time to do it, hire someone who, who can do it for you and be effective at doing it. Be like Henry Ford. Find the most talented people out there to be able to run your ship and work the ideas that are in your mind and put it into practice. Right now, if you don't have that capability, find someone to help you out. And I think ego and pride has been the stumbling block for administrators mm-hmm. more than the athletic directors and the coaches. Yep. I would agree with you. You know, boards of trustees who like the titles and, but don't necessarily don't, do the legwork. And they don't understand what's happened. Everybody wants to be on the board. Want to have your name. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've had the argument with folks about how their name is presented in the program, <laughs> but they don't know what's going on with the team. Yeah. You didn't yeah. put my doctor in front of my name. Well, I'm not. Tell me what's the roster, though. <laughs> Give me the roster. I, I know you're a doctor. That's not, I'm not worried about that. But, you know, it's just those little things. And it's but there's so much potential. And we see this with these students who want they want what HBCUs have. They want yeah. what, what they're craving this. And we just got to serve it up to them the right way. You just got to give meet them halfway. Meet yeah. them halfway, and you're, you're, you're there. The other water ain't more wet, you know what I'm saying? And I, other ice, ain't it's not, cold. it's not. You're right about that. Look, I I'm think the water's on, <laughs> yeah, it's on, it's running, it's flowing. You see the flowing, you see seven billion dollars flowing, right? So, why can't we not capture some of that, that those dollars? That's why Byron Allen. And I have to credit him. I don't know the deal. I don't know. And a lot of people say, oh, he's going to really do bad to HBC. Okay. But he, he did state this, and I have to agree with him. We started at zero. Zero, guys. You had to, you have to, you don't have, if you don't have to search to find your team's game, 
you know how much of a, a win that is? And last season, a lot of people were like, how, how do I see it? Or do we go on ESPNU? Do we go on ESPN2 or 3? Where is ESPN it online? Or, or do we have to go to the, the some of the colleges site. stream their own content, right? And, and now you have these apps, HBCU uh, Go. Mm-hmm. You have the HBCU. I forgot the other one. Yeah, Black uh, College Sports. Uh, yeah, Black. Uh, uh, well, BCSN. Don't they BCSM, have an They do more the CIAC, SIAC and yeah. CW, uh, CIAA. So, right, right. Uh, that's what Brian Fulford, uh, Dr. Cavill, and those guys, and right. Drew, and those guys. Yeah. And Jamie Walker, he does play by play. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, all I'm saying is this we have the capability, the money is going to start flowing if you're able to show that your product is viable and attractive to those sponsors out there. All right, let's switch gears one more time and bring it back back to New Orleans for the Pelicans. Um, and for the first time in a long time, we had two things going into the offseason. We had a relatively quiet offseason for the Pelicans, which <laughs> yeah. has not been the case over the last few years. And then at the same time, it was a productive and positive offseason in that Zion Williamson, his extension got done relatively quickly. You know, you have Brandon Ingram with his injury and that he's working out, but clearly, you know, organizing practices out on the West Coast um, with players, that's a good thing. Um, of course, Dyson Daniels, the first round pick, gets hurt in summer league yeah, and you lose EJ tough. Liddell for the year, which is very tough because there were a lot of expectations for him. But still, top to bottom, you're entering the 2022-23 season with, I would argue, the most talented roster that Pelicans have ever had. Even when they were going back to the Hornets stage from top to bottom, this is the most talented roster that you've ever had. And maybe the most optimism you've had, certainly since the Chris Paul, Crescent City Connection era. Um, this this is it, it. For a team that still finished below 500 last year, this is a different era. Different era, different players different coach different culture culture is something isn't it you know when you have the right culture within a business setting and that's what the pelicans are a business uh, you could be able to do a lot of great things and uh, i think uh, right now with the new orleans uh, pelicans with zion being able to return healthy and you're able to get some of those other major pieces back healthy to start the season, yeah, you're going to have a Pelicans team that's going to uh, not only vie for a a top spot in the Western Division, but these guys are thinking about trying to get over the hump into the championship rounds, right? So I like what I see with the Pelicans. Um, Maybe they have one or two pieces that they could possibly work on. Um, is always that possibility. Or you may have, like, uh, and, I, and I was sad to see Bill Russell pass, but his teams, they work so well together. They weren't superstars all across the board, but they made themselves superstars and super names for themselves because they work so efficiently and effectively together as a Pelican, I mean, as a Boston Celtics team. So if you look at the Pelicans, can they do the same right now? I think they can. And they pushed and pushed the Suns. Uh, I think if Zion was, was on their roster, I think the Pelicans would have uh, won that 
a series. I mean, you, the tough thing is, you know, you're also saying if, De- if Devin Booker is healthy too, because he missed the game. So, you know, it's always, you can always play the what's in the what's. I, 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 I struggle with what's. Now that's that's always yeah. You can only with deal with what ha- what actually is, yeah. is and what has happened, but also you have to think about why do we do these predictions? Why do we do these projections? Is mm-hmm. because you have to run the scenarios in your mind that this is a possibility of happening. right. I try and, to go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I I try to, and I'll I'll say this, and and folks kind of get upset at me because a lot of times folks give me the reputation for being, they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm downer. I'm, I don't ever try to be a downer. <laughs> I, I, I'm very serious about basketball, basketball out of all the things I discuss, basketball is the thing that I love the most is the thing I pay attention to the closest. Um, it's what I care about and, and, and I love it. And I think, you know, I still look at the West and I look at history and, and, and as we talked about, if you want to go to Pelican scoop, you can check out, I'm putting a series together. The first part is up and there'll be more of it coming, but about what the champion, a championship profile looks like and how the Pelicans fit in with that. And like you said, I think there are some things that are still uh, missing uh, from this team uh, that, that, that they could add. Part of it is something that, that you just can't buy. And that's experience. You got to win before you got to win something before you win everything it, that it's not traditional for a team to go from below 500 to, to winning a title. That's really hard. Is it impossible? Nothing's impossible. This is sports. Um, but I think that's one of the questions And I think to me going into this season two, the question is it's always the start for the Pelicans. It's always the start. And this year, I think that the issue for the start will be not that this means that they're going to come out the gate one in 14 or something like that, but the only two players on this roster who have ever played with Zion Williamson extensively are Brandon Ingram and um, uh, um, the guy I always give, no, I forget his name, Jackson Hayes, who I always give trouble to. But those are the only two guys who played extensively with Zion at all. I you thought about the restru- just. I'm going to let you go right after this. Yeah. The restructuring of, I think CJ McCullough knows his role and will slide into that third score role really easily. But it's the defensive communication of that starting five, when Herb Jones is your best defender of your starting five, your defensive communication is key. And that's going to take some time uh, to develop. And I think also that figuring out, just like you see with any team, when you have three capable scores, when to defer, when is Brandon's time, when is Zion's time? Like we saw yeah. in Miami, like you've seen in Boston with Jalen Brown and, and uh, you know, Jason Tatum having to figure it out. Philadelphia people figured it out. It, it does take a minute for people to figure out where does the ball go? And, and, and I think those things are going to – how quickly they figure that out is a big chunk of this season. You hit it. You hit it out the park. How they figure it out, how they are going to work as a unit, right? How they're going to space that floor as well. Will egos become a, a problem sometime during that season as well? Yeah, all that makes it great drama for this Pelican squad. Can they figure it out? I think they can. I think they have the right coach to be able to help them through it. Uh, I think there's veteran leadership. That's the one thing I, I kept on saying uh, this offseason. I would have wanted to bring on a guy who's one more in, in a championship type of situation, who's not a starter any longer, but a good role player. That's what I believe they needed to have. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's still a possibility because, you know, deals are going to still be winging 
across the (laughs) NBA uh, flying here and flying there. So, yeah, so it's still a possibility. That's the one thing I would love to have seen that the Pelicans be able to do this offseason. But, you know, David uh, Griffin and those guys, they they have their – and Trajan have their plan in place. Yeah, I think I worry – the two things that that I think element-wise that they don't have, they still don't have a rim protector. You know, that's they've been searching for. They thought Jackson Hayes was going to be that. He's not a shot blocker. Last year, Herb Jones had more block shots than Jackson Hayes did. And Jackson played more minutes. You know, I mean, it's like in his career, Jackson has never had more than 55 blocks in a season. Mm -hmm. So he's not a natural shot blocker. It's just not who he is. And then I think the other thing is not having a veteran point guard. And people say, well, you got Brandon as a playmaker and Zion as a playmaker and CJ as a playmaker. I think you see at times, though, all of those guys need to have the opportunity without the basketball for something to happen, for somebody to say, settle it down. That's right. This is Brandon's play. Settle it down. This is Zion's bucket. Settle. You know what I mean? And there has to be somebody who can do that for you or has seen those situations in the past, especially when you get to the playoffs, because you saw when CJ McCollum goes off the floor, you don't have another lead guard at that spot. You you had Herb Jones bring up the ball a lot, but that's not a position you want Herb Jones to be in uh, consistently where he has to initiate the offense. I think you need a guard who can do that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that's why this team is still a little bit more in flux. You're still going to see some deals that are going to be made. And uh, going into this season, is going to be interesting. And the Celtics had a chance to, to win that title, right? But I think they had too much youth that didn't go into really challenging. And you had a guy who I saw who's a superstar, in my opinion, didn't perform like a superstar when he needed to perform like a superstar. A hundred so, turnovers in the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's, that's difficult, man. You cannot do that when you're playing championship ball. So, yeah, Pelicans, I like what I see, and I think they're going to really shock some people as well, like with the Saints. I think both these teams, David, is going to really be uh, some groundbreaking years for the New Orleans Pelicans and Saints. Now, will they look the same starting the season and ending the season? Maybe totally different. Mm -hmm. But you're going to see, I think you have two coaches who don't have huge egos that will be able to help bring them through some of these challenging times ahead. I think, to me, the greatest thing about Willie Green um, was it was that he said that this team's identity would start on defense. And he, and we saw that over the second half of the season, the Pelicans were a much better defensive team. He didn't care. Like, you know, there were nights when they couldn't score and it looked rough, but <laughs> yes, he yes, was yeah. more concerned about correcting the defense and getting those guys in transition. And you see with the drafting, adding guys like Trey Murphy, adding Herb Jones, adding Dyson Daniels, they all fit that profile, long athletic can defend multiple positions and they all have, an attitude about them too. They take their defense seriously. And uh, I think this is a team that just is a more well-developed team than it was a year ago. And I think Willie's set for that. I think they can contend for a home court advantage spot in the West. I believe that at their best, I think they can be a top four team in the West. 
Do I think they're better than Golden State? Probably not. No, that's the champions. Do I think that, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, the West is still really hard. Utah got better. You know what I mean? I mean, not Utah. I mean, uh, Minnesota even got better. Dallas has Luka Doncic and they got better. Dallas added pieces. Memphis. Memphis is still yeah. Memphis. Yeah. yeah. They're going to be healthy, you think. Well, so it's, it's hard in the West. Yeah. It's, it's hard to project how a team is going to really look down the stretch. And like you say, we can only deal with what is, right? Because a lot of people didn't project the Cincinnati Bengals to be in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I know I didn't. And uh, I think when you as a reporter, journalist, broadcaster, whatever you want to be, we just have to be reasonable in our estimates about these guys uh, because when you – focusing and projecting and you're saying this is going to happen and this and you have no idea come on we don't i've been in this too long to know that things change can change overnight with one injury ain't that the truth ain't that the truth the pelicans fans know that as well as anybody and the saints know that as well and if we bring it back to zion williamson how critical is this year for him in a number of ways? Number one, performance-wise, all eyes are on him. But number two, Brandon Ingram, I think, earned the title last year of the leader of this team, both in his play and his demeanor, his approach every day. And I think that has continued into this offseason. Zion Williamson was the number one pick. Zion Williamson was seen as the savior. Can he realistically? And outwardly, he seems to say all the right things. But, I mean, this is still – this is sports. This is ego. This is this, – great players have egos. Can he – I'm not saying they can't, but I'm saying no, how no. that maturation process for him and Brandon of how, how do you – who's the boss here? I don't think Zion wants to be the boss. And that's a weird thing, isn't it? I think he's okay to acquiesce. Is that okay with you? Yeah, because all we need him to play the role of the the guy that's taking the ball, challenging guys, being the defensive power that he can be as well, and being the the talent that we need to see. We just haven't been able to see it in a complete season. If he can stay healthy for a complete season, that's the number one challenge, because if he does that, you'll see like he did what? few seasons ago the 27 points per game but he's not going to be called on to to score that many points with this team he's got a compliment he has a complimentary cast that is there to be able to help him so right now i think zion is okay just being the young guy wanting to he's getting paid a lot of money in the one day right but being that one guy to say CJ, B.I., what do I do? Show me what to do so we can be great as a team. I think that's where Zion is right now. The biggest thing for me is he's got to be a, a more willing defender. Just it, it, it's if he is, doesn't set a tone defensively because of his physicality, like he's not, he's not going to be, ever be a, a guy who blocks two shots a game, but you have to fear driving inside the paint if Zion is there. 
Well, yeah. You know what I mean? And, he, and if, you, it was, if you're 280 But that pounds, wasn't the case the last time we saw him. He, but he was a baby. He was a baby guy. But that's, what, that's the evolution is we have to see that be the evolution. He has to be a presence yeah. defensively. And um, I think that, you know, people said, well, look at what he did at Duke. I don't put any credence into what I saw defensively at Duke. And that's not a, a slap at Zion. It's just that he was so much physically better than everybody there. It's not, it's not accurate. It's not, he didn't, you can rely on your, your athleticism to get away with things that you can't do in the NBA. You have to understand your assignment on a nightly basis in the NBA. Yeah. We, we did see some flashes from time to time in some games that he was that type of presence, but it wasn't consistent. Yeah. And and I guess, that goes into that consistency word again, mm-hmm. right? If you can find the consistency in the performance, yes, you can be able to find true value in that player. That's what coaches want. Mm-hmm. Or any type of manager wants. They want a consistent employee who's going to produce. And if you have those employees producing at a higher level, you have won the jackpot. And I think that's what uh, Coach Green and those guys have to see and bring out of Zion this season. I just I think he wants to embrace it. I agree with you. I think he wants to be he's always wants to be part of the group. Um, But he also has to understand, too, that he is the standout, that you are you are exceptional. (laughs) It's cool to be part of the group. And I think B.I. took a minute for him to figure that out. And he's a little older. Certainly, he's four years older than Zion. It took B.I. a minute to figure out that, yeah, go. It's there's a difference between getting 26 points yeah. and making the other team stop you from getting more than 26. And last year, B.I., people had to stop B.I. It wasn't yeah. just him putting up enough shots to score. You had to work to stop him in ways that you didn't have to in the previous two years. Yeah, I, I'm going to date myself back. And I know some of our listeners may <laughs> say, oh, this guy is too old, right? Look, man, I remember when Jeffrey Osborne sat on the drums of LTD. LTD. I remember yeah. when, uh, what's my boy? Look, Harold Melvin the, in the Blue Notes. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, Teddy Pendergrass was just a role singer. He wasn't the lead singer until he started hitting really well with the ladies. Then they're like, all right, man, we got to give this guy more of a prominent role. What about uh, the Commodores? <laughs> You know, he had to be the one who was writing the songs, but he was behind the scenes at first until, bam, he he, he put it out there, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's what you have. Just, Zion has to just learn this season how to be that ultimate team player. I don't think they're going to need him to be, hey, you got to take over the game. At this time, but there are going to be some situations where he's going to have to take the ball and be in that position to win the game for the for the team. So, yeah, I do that. Believe that can happen. Yeah. You just want to see you want want to see him be nasty at times. I want to like because last year you saw (laughs) B.I. get nasty. You know, what I mean, in that playoff series against the nasty dunk, Brandon Ingram had an edge to him every game up until when he got hurt. Brandon Ingram was the best player in the series. Except for, you know, in that one game where Chris Paul is perfect, essentially. But, you know, B.I. had the snarl, you know, that like the thing, whether it's whether it's Michael giving you the stare, Kobe biting his jersey or LeBron getting the look. B.I. had that look. And I think yeah. that's what you're waiting for now for Zion. And it may be this year and it may be next year. I don't know. He's got to mature at his own pace. 
but that's when he's made it is Giannis has that snarl. You know what I mean? The, the thing you don't like about Ben Simmons, the reason that people don't believe in Ben Simmons is because they don't see that fire. And for Zion, you want to see that level of fire every night. And if he brings that, you know, he's as physically talented and as gifted as any player offensively that we've ever seen in that package, which is that we've never seen. Other than Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, they were the only two rookies that I can ever re- recall in my day. And even watching the uh, the NBA all these years, Jordan didn't have that complete fire uh, consistently his first season, you know, and the injury he had as well. But those are the only two guys that I saw coming out the blocks who were just hungry and nasty. They wanted to win. They wanted to be the man, you know. Uh, so it, it's rare to find that type of talent. Well, Kobe wanted to be that man, yeah, but he had to mature. He wasn't in he position had, to do it. He wasn't in position, you know. Uh, Shaq, you saw how Shaq thought he was the man until he ran into Hakeem Olajuwon. Olajuwon told that, him some lessons. That Yeah, yeah. And he was just looking at Hakeem, <laughs> you know. Those guys had a chance to beat the Rockets. They just didn't do it because they were – Deer, they had the deer in the headlights look because they were a young team. And I think so what, that's what happened with the Boston Celtics as well. I, all right, man. I got to. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate all your time. Um, yeah. Tell the folks real quick how they can follow you and um, all the work that oh, you man. got. So, first of all, thank you, David, uh, for having me on. You do such a great job with your podcast as well as with your writings, man. And you can find First, David, as well as uh, Chris Dotson and Terry Kimball and myself on Pelican Scoop. Uh, that's at si.com forward slash NBA forward slash Pelicans. And you can also find me at Saints News Network, as well as with John Hendricks, Bob Rose, and Brendan Borland. You go to si.com forward slash NFL forward slash Saints. And you can find me at HBCU Legends which is si.com forward slash college forward slash HBCU. And you can find me on Twitter at KT Mose as well as HBCU Legends and Pelican Scoop at Pelican Scoop on those handles as well. So uh, a lot to digest and Saints News, I can't forget. Yes. Go to at Saints News as well. Um, but we're there. We're we're. <laughs> We have a convergence of a great year that's going to be ahead of us in New Orleans, as well as on the college football landscape, LSU, as well as in the HBCU. So, hey, man, this is a great time to be a sports fan. Brother, thank you so much. We'll do this again next time. I'll try to keep it tighter, but we just had so much fun. I mean, we just ah, man, look, I, I'm fine. It's it's the my 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 peeps back. They're looking at me like, hey, we ain't getting off. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, but thank you. Um, and like I said, we'll talk again soon, of course. And and of course, check both of us out on Pelicans Scoop together. Um, and all the great things we'll be doing through the Pelicans throughout the season. And guys, remember this, and I want to leave uh, your listeners with this because David does such a great job follow him support him he has some great merchandise out there as well go and hit him up and uh you know get in the grind with him and guys don't forget check yourself out if uh, you have any prostate issues uh, go to the doctor get your psas done and you could be a cancer survivor and go through it because it's one of the most curable forms of cancer that men seem to hide from but 
need to be in front of. Be yeah. tenacious. And do Go it. see your doctor, man. Have a good relationship with your doctor. Um, until the next time, thank you all so much for listening. And we'll be back again on Wednesday. This has been Hard to Pain.